This week, we examine the COVID-19 pandemic through a different lens with wildlife photographer Paul Nicklin. The Nat Geo contributor shares how coronavirus and climate change are intertwined and whether the world's response this time around can prepare us for potentially bigger issues ahead. All that's coming up next right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. Your reaction to what's going on in the world currently? You know, there's, I have a mixed minds as I watch my corporate sponsors run away and I watch my, uh, all my lectures get canceled, my main form of income. Uh, you know, so the, from an economics point of view, it's been, you know, it's, I'm taking a hit like everybody else. You know, I haven't tell you, I really feel for the people who are out of work, who live paycheck to paycheck, and people who are in lineups and uh, just to get their next meal. It's, it's devastating to see that. Um, Obviously, the loss. I have friends who have lost friends and and uh, to this disease. So there's the personal and the economic side has been devastating. And then, you know, but then you you hear the good news out there that you know the airplanes are essentially grounded and this planet is getting a much much needed breath of fresh air. When you think of uh, you know the fishing industry has basically been shut down in a lot of places. Um, you know, the, so the oceans, the sky, the air, the atmosphere. Um, this is kind of the react, you're seeing a blueprint for what we need to react to our planet. We have our own personal health. We, and we're obviously panicking when, when this is going on for a good, good reason. But when you, we need the same level reaction to the health of our planet. It is the foundation of our life on earth. It is the foundation of us. Every second breath comes from the sea. It is the earth is our lungs. It's our, you know, our kidneys, our food, our grocery store. And yet we're just hitting it. Like it's, it's this, just just we're hammering it and it's 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 fighting back you think all in one year we have had the amazon forest we've had the biggest hurricanes on record in you know abaco and the bahamas where we were filming and doing hurricane relief work there um you think of um you know australia and those devastating fires and then now this pandemic all in one year and it's just like if this does not wake us up graham then i I don't know what is. You just sort of feel like it's all lost that we're on this trajectory of, of carbon emissions that are just off the charts uh, in the last 150 years or the last 250 years. And it's, it's scary, but I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's good to know that we are able to come together and address a major global problem. And you realize how small the earth is and we can rise up and, and fix things. So I really hope, I hope we uh, under maybe perhaps different leadership, we can uh, address the bigger issue what's the likelihood in your opinion that this does actually serve as a wake-up call? You know, it feels, it feels to me like it's happening. It's, you see sort of the ability of someone like little Greta Thunberg, who's amazing, who can create this movement. And then you see how we can react to this. And again, under different leadership, I think the reaction would have been a lot better, but you look at the, for example, the first oil crisis, the second oil crisis in, in 1980, and then you look at the fall of the USSR and you look at the Asian financial crisis, I'm just glancing over at some stats, the global financial crisis. Every time there's been a crisis, when it comes to CO2 emissions, there's been a drop, a slight drop. And then right, it's just like the Dow Jones. I mean, it's going down and up and down and up. And so it almost follows the, the CO2 emissions on, on the scale on many levels follows the, the Dow Jones. And, and when there's a big crisis and a big global collapse, there's an adjustment, but it's not enough. I mean, the trajectory is still going off the charts and, and these problems, the pandemics, they're just going to get worse and the storms are going to get worse and the droughts are going to get worse. And we're talking about an ice free Arctic in the next 20 years. We're talking about, 
you know, massive droughts. We're talking about temperatures in the 140 degrees Fahrenheit, where, you know, you're basically essentially unlivable. And you know, I, I'm a deep, big fan of Elon Musk. I love what he's doing, but well, I'm not moving to Mars. I doubt you're moving to Mars. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty cool concept and it's great for what it's done for his technology and his satellites and his rockets. And But I mean, here's a planet that wants to take care of us and we just need to take care of it in return. And it'll, it'll, uh, it could be a good symbiotic relationship with this earth if we, if we do our part. Um, it, based on the response failures and maybe failures to proactively prepare for this pandemic, how much does that add to your concern about where we're headed with climate change? I guess what I'm really concerned about is that the science has been in for 20 years, you know, really in the last 10 years, scientists are like, okay, the models were, were not even correct. The models were understated. You know, this is bad. Climate change is really serious. We are going to lose, we've already lost half the coral reefs on this planet. You know, we've lost most of the ice in the Arctic. We've lost most of the ice shelves in Antarctica. And as sort of this, we get these warnings daily, you know, when we talk about the first time in history that, the Greenland ice cap is melting it. I think that that's why Pearl Jam put that picture of my ice waterfall on the cover of their latest album called Gigaton is because 254 billion tons of ice melted last year in Greenland. And you think in you know however many years the ocean levels could rise 170 feet. I mean, we think we have problems now with this, this pandemic, but it, it can get, it's gonna get really bad. Um, so, the fact that we haven't reacted to the science in the last 20 years is, is terrifying. And then to see that we are able to react to something as, you know, and, and I think comparatively tiny, this pandemic is tiny compared to what's coming down the pipe through climate change. Um, the fact that we can react on this level though, and I think we will react obviously to something at climate change because we are an animal, we're a species and we want to stay alive. We are going to fight for our own survival. So we will react at some point, but at what loss, at what loss to, natural biodiversity to our earth. And, and if, if we start losing all the charismatic species from this planet, I really sort of question if we can save ourselves. But so I, I'm actually sitting here at home in beautiful British Columbia, looking out at the ocean, whales are going by. Um, and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that. What makes that you we hopeful are, though? I, I mean, just in light of, in light of what you're we saying. We are capable of a reaction. I think leadership is going to change both yep. in Canada and the U.S. at some point. Um, I, I think that that at some point we're going to have leaders who step up and really, and, and I think also what I'm hopeful about, forget the leaders, I'm, you know, we, the people are going to rise and we, the people are going to steer, you know, survival for us and for, for ultimately for this planet, because it is our only home. So, I mean, it, when are we going to do it? It's beautiful. I'm hopeful because I can see that we're capable of massive global reaction to a, to a problem. And that reaction is needed on a bigger scale to our planet. Um, you know, but it just, the only thing that makes me nervous too is that we only seem to react to climate issues once our bank accounts are full and our jobs are great and everything else is checked off and everything's great. You know, we're able to buy that dream car and we have our dream house and we got the second dream house. Now I'm gonna get interested in the planet, you know? So it's, it's, we just have to shift our, our way of thinking. And in reality, climate change could likely be the biggest financial issue of our lifetime. By bar none. I mean, it is. It's when you think of again, entire Manhattan underwater. You know, entire countries like the Maldives gone uh, in the not too distant future because of rising sea levels. That's that's a pretty big problem. And, and, and 
and then obviously all the diseases that are going to come with it and then you don't have the infrastructure to deal with it and um, yeah and the hope is that the global response to that doesn't happen at the same rate as the global response to a coronavirus because coronavirus even if it happens late you know the loss relative to the population is isn't that great whereas with something like climate change if you wait too long it's devastating and insurmountable of then being able to overcome right yeah i mean you imagine a case where you know, the infrastructure of the world is basically hammered. I mean, forget the economies, you know, just everyone's fighting for survival. And then you add on a pandemic like Ebola, you know, which is just, you're going to bleed out and it's going to be a horrific death and a much higher death rate if, if you get it. And, um, you know, it just, this, I, I like, this has been a little slap in the face. It's been a little wake up call. And, and um, you know, I, I'm trying to stay positive. I, I'm, my nature is to go doom and gloom. Sometimes I get pretty down when you see the lack of reaction. You know, already the China China markets. You know, they they we got excited as environmental community because you know China, you know, announced that they were banning um, the trade in wildlife, and it's like okay, well, this is where the diseases are coming from, and this is great. This is a great first step. Wildlife wins, we win, and then all of a sudden you see the markets are open, and there you see you know it's already back to it. So it's and just, they just aren't allowing photos and stuff yeah. like that now, right? Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, but let's be hopeful. Right. I mean, it's, we reacted to something under, again, under pretty, pretty shaky leadership. We reacted to something. And when you see that there are leaders in there, like, um, was it Andrew Cuomo in New York, these people step up and people follow and they look for that level of leadership and it gets you excited. And, um, you know, the people are really the, the celebrities are speaking out and they have a stronger voice, you know? So it's, the internet's also changed how we communicate and, and it's, there's hope. How would you put the climate issues of the past year in context with what we've seen previously? I mean, I think working for National Geographic 20, 21 years ago or 20 years ago, I did a big feature for National Geographic where we went through the Northwest Passage and uh, I was the journalist on board and I was going to every sign. These are the top climate scientists in the world. And I was trying to get people to go on record and, and talk about climate change. And they're like, well, the jury's still out. We don't quite have the data and, and we think something's happening. The ice is definitely thinner, but we don't know what's causing it. And we don't really want to go on record and use the words climate change or climate crisis. I'm like, all right. And so we did this story for geographic, but you know, everyone talked about compared to say like the Russian nuclear subsoundings in the 70s when they would come up through the ice you know the ice was basically half as half as thick as it was back then just but so they had that data but still people and then you fast forward to today where it's like holy shit we're we're in a mess and and you know everybody's talking about it and it's just now we're starting to react to it and there's a lot of brilliant scientists out there coming up with creative ways um to you know to sequester carbon and and you know we're going into the electric vehicles now i mean what is it, that great movie about who killed the electric car i mean so i mean oil's got a lot of powerful so i mean i i hate to be so i hate to be this person but i get excited when i go online and i watch you know i get on bloomberg news and i watch oil hitting its lowest lows and i'm like good we got to get off oil we got to find a cleaner healthier energy if, if we're going to survive as a species on this planet if we're going to keep this planet alive you know we got to get into green green energy what changes would you recommend Oh my gosh. I mean, 
Oh, they, I mean, you, there's, there's a lot of brilliant people talking about it. And I'm not one of those people. I'm just an artist, Graham, and I'm a, a photographer and a journalist and a storyteller. And I find the interesting science and I convey that through photography and, and connect the global audience using the power of visual storytelling, what we do the work with our nonprofit, Sea Legacy. Um, but, you know, when you think scientists are talking about if we took all of the nuclear waste in the United States alone and we we burn that and we that was there's enough energy in that nuclear waste. And I think the byproduct of burning that is water. There's enough energy there stored in the ground that they don't know what to do with because it's just toxic radioactive waste. You could power the entire earth for 70 years. You know, so there's these ideas and the science out there. It's like, wait a minute, let's do this, you know, but obviously, you know, you, you don't want to get too much into politics, but you've got people like the Koch brothers who, you know, who have fought this, putting billions of dollars into campaigns to keep big oil alive. And, you know, meanwhile, like fracking is, is going to go away, I hope, with these low oil prices. And um, the Canada oil sands is some of the dirtiest oil in the world right here in Canada. And our prime minister who came in under an environmental platform and he's, you know, I, I think his heart's there. I think he cares. I think he's a great guy. Uh, but there's so much pressure to keep the tar sands alive for Alberta. And, and yet it's such a dirty oil where we're going to take that, pump it through a pipeline. He's making the Canadian taxpayers pay for it something like $7 billion and we ship that oil through a pipeline, increasing ship traffic through whale habitat here. That goes to China, it gets processed, comes back here and we burn it. Makes no sense. I mean, the carbon footprint on that oil is massive. We need to find a cleaner energy. Um, and so I, I like it that the ideas are coming. Again, I'm not a scientist, I'm not out there. But if you go on to TED Talks and you just see the brilliant minds that are working on this, it's happening and they're fighting, they're trying. We need to put money and dollars and fund that. Bill Gates is getting behind it and putting his money and he's always taken on the big diseases of the world. Now he's putting his billions of dollars behind research on to, to finding a cleaner energy for this planet. That's his next big problem. So when you find out that Bill Gates is turning his big brain and his power and his money behind clean energy, I get excited. So, you know, the, the right people are getting involved. I, I know you've said during crisis or recessions, the pollution level drops, but then it goes back up. Um, what have you seen, though, this time in terms of drop in pollution levels that gives you hope about our ability to make change if we want to? Yeah, I mean, you think of the people of China are looking up and saying, hey, we, we haven't seen a blue sky in 10 years, you know, or 50, 20 years. And so I just people are getting glimpses. I think when this is all settles and the science and the models and <coughs> the data is going to be in, um, I think that we're going to have this benchmark of if we if we scale back, my dogs just came home. Hi guys. Um, <laughs> if if they scale back, um, you know this X amount of travel and this X amount of, you know, oil, oil production and what have you, then this is what it looks like, and it's just going to be a good little glimpse into into you know into history of, of this moment in time that we addressed an issue, you know, and we didn't we would never do this for the climate but we'll do it to keep ourselves alive. So it's going to be very interesting to have this record. How have you seen the levels drop? Just, I mean, just based on what the, you're seeing, the science is just starting to come in and you're talking about the reduction of carbon. I mean, carbon, even if we start releasing, if we went zero carbon around the world tomorrow, we're still in a lot of trouble, you know? So it's because of carbon, you know, the so? of carbon. Because there's so much carbon in the atmosphere already, the warming is going to continue. It's not like it just automatically drops just because you stop releasing. It's just going to carry on. Um, we're still going to see the loss of polar bears probably and the loss of sea ice and the loss of 
habitat and the fires and the droughts are going to get worse, but we're going to start again. We have to flatten that curve the way, I mean, the, the curve of climate change and CO2 emissions is as steep as coronavirus right now, you know, and to flatten that curve is going to take a long, long time. Um, so, but the right minds are working on it. You know, I'm, again, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert here in any of this stuff. I'm just a passionate conservationist. On the coronavirus front, how does climate change impact what happens with the virus? It just, I mean, you're asking me hard questions, Graham. Um, I mean, we need a panel of experts here to, to look at this stuff. But of course, you know, with climate change, just everything gets weaker. I mean, as there's this, you have 4 billion years of evolution for this planet to arrive at this moment in time of sort of evolutionary perfection. And you start chipping away at it. And basically the planet gets sick and the planet, you know, is, is fighting. It's putting out these diseases and we're, you know, it's coming from the wildlife. It's coming as we start to run out of our own food and we get involved and we need to make a living. We get involved in the wildlife trade. We get involved in wildlife trade. We're coming into touch with these diseases. We're eating diseased animals, but then we pass that on to other humans and off we go from, from whether it's from bats or pangolins or, you know, from eating monkeys or, um, you know, so that's, you know, the planet's, there's always, everything's always trying to find a balance. Things fight back. And right now I feel like the planet's fighting back, but we're getting really smart and we're getting really good at vaccines and we're getting really good at helping ourselves live longer, longer lives, you know, and increase population. And um, it's, uh, and when things, you know, as a wildlife biologist, when I used to work on species like, you know, the lynx snowshoe hair cycle, you would see rabbits, you would see their populations grow quickly from a few rabbits per hectare to all of a sudden a thousand snowshoe hares per hectare. And all of a sudden then the ecosystem around them develops poisons, you know, in the, ta in the, in the, uh, in the bark of the trees and their food source. And then when their population corrected, it wasn't a 10% correction or, uh, I mean, if Corona goes like wildfire, it, they talk about all the numbers. I mean, it's going to be a tiny little correction in human population. I actually think with all the self isolation that, uh, there's going to be an increase in population with all these couples forced to be together for months at a time. But, um, you know, when that, when that whole snowshoe hair population corrects, it, it corrects 99%. I mean, it's a massive, massive correction when, you know, but we're, again, we're smart and we have incredible medical systems and geniuses and, and just huge money going into health. Um, you know, I, I think we, we really just really need to look at this from, a philanthropy level. When you look at the United States, I'm just going to throw out some numbers and they're probably going to be wrong, but just to give you the, the general idea, when you look at philanthropy in the U.S. in 2017, $410 billion, philanthropic dollars went into various causes. And the U.S. is the most generous philanthropic country in the world. And But you think 38% of those dollars went into religion, you know, say 20% went into education, 10% um, went into health. So these, again, are approximate numbers, but less than 3% went into the environment. And the environment includes all dogs, cats, horses. And then at the bottom of that, less than half a percent went into communication about the environment. And that's why at Sea Legacy, we're really trying to, we really we need, need to, you know, so there's this pyramid that looks like this. We need to turn that into the pyramid up here where, you know, the environment and the planet um the foundation of our life on this earth and all future life and this biodiversity this evolution i mean it's it's we need to start putting the dollars and the effort and the energy into fighting for this planet which is our home and um, like again like i said we're not i'm not moving to mars so it's let's take care of it what's your gut tell you about when you'll be able to start traveling again 
You know, we have a trip. We're doing an Amaze campaign where we're asking people to, you know, buy basically like raffle tickets to come and film big coastal brown bears with me this fall. Uh, that's on August 6th. Um, every trip I've had lined up, all our expeditions, I'm supposed to be on our boat right now filming in the Bahamas. Um, uh, everything's gotten canceled, you know, so I have, I have lectures out now until October and November. We've got some big talks and I'm not even that hopeful those are going to happen. So right now I'm planning a November launch date for our catamaran to see legacy one to be filming and working in the Bahamas, celebrating a country that, that, that gets a blue economy and, you know, protecting large swaths of its environment. So, uh, that's, so November is my, my dream right now. As we wrap up, somebody that's listened to this chat and maybe has become overly, you know, pessimistic by due to the kind of what might seem borderline insurmountable uh, challenges. Um, what's the positive spin that you can put on it to give hope? You know, I think that people are realizing that I do have hope because I think this has been a massive wake-up call and then people realize that it is you know it, the earth seems really big we all have our little finite worlds where we live in our own countries our own towns our own areas and then when you see something like the pandemic spread as quickly as it does but then you see how the world reacts or the lack of reaction in some areas um, I think we also realize that you know that that we're capable of great doing great things capable of creating great change. We're capable of coming together and addressing a common problem. And that, so there's, for me, it's, I'm feeling incredibly hopeful as pessimistic as I sound, just cause I, I just see this trajectory that we're on. I think that climate change is gonna continue to rear its ugly head. And at some point we're gonna wake up um, and we are waking up. We're just not waking up fast enough. And I, I think that we, and I don't have the graphs. I'm sitting in my mind trying to almost run scientific models and graphs of what the trajectory is, but we are going to have to flatten the curve on climate change and then get that going down. We have the smartest people in the world, again, working on this problem and starting to throw money and their brain power at it. And that, that excites me. It gives me a lot. 20 years ago, people weren't, you know, like I, I even in 20 years ago, I was buying oil. I was buying the tar sands in my stock portfolio. You know, I, did, I mean, just didn't even really think about it. But now it's just like, are you kidding me? I wouldn't even think about it, you know? So it's, you know, so just people need to realize that every time they vote, every time they pull out a visa, every time they go into a restaurant and order and what they decide to eat, they're making a decision about what type of planet they want to have for them themselves or kids or grandkids. And I think that people are starting to make that connection. And I think that's, we're heading in the right direction. And, and, you know, when you have geniuses like Paul Hawkins working on ways, all these different ways to draw down carbon, um, like I said, Bill Gates, it's, it's good. I mean, I'm, this has been good for the planet and it's been a good little reality check and it's been a good positive moment in time in history that, that we did react to something on a global level. So it's, um, am I, is the, we're, we're far, far from out of being, you know, out of this mess. So it's in the climate change mess, but it's, uh, it's good. It's good, Graham. It's going to be great. Got a lot of work out of us. <laughs> we can wrap on that. Thanks a lot, Paul. <laughs>
Thanks a lot, Graham. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to my chat with wildlife photographer Paul Nicklin. To see me with Paul off the coast of British Columbia's spirit bear trekking, and for more interviews with big name stars on how they're handling the coronavirus pandemic, go to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger, and you can visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.